Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When do we take control of our lives and our destiny? We're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrendous. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, six million pounds sterling that John Lewis ad has cost to make and put on the telly. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard people talking about it this morning on British radio. And apparently, as always, it's quite charming and quite lovely. John Lewis ads always are. But six million quid in a year where John Lewis have lost like hundreds of millions during the, the pandemic. But they come up with one of the highlights of Christmas every year. Look forward to to seeing that one later and seeing things, photographs, my God I mentioned her yesterday morning at the top of the programme, that little kid in Australia there she is, it's got to be, I think of all the beautiful pictures of children that are in the newspapers for the entire duration of 2021 you won't beat you just won't beat the little picture of Cleo Smith, there she is on a hospital bed waving to whoever is taking the photograph with a big smile on her face and there she with a nice lolly to hear me there a, a, a nice lolly in her hand and it's in all the papers this morning because where she is in Western Australia of course they're coming into high summer so why wouldn't she have a nice lolly the star is dragging it out a little bit though it says hope for Maddie after Cleo Miracle trying to tie it in with Madeline McCann which is a bit of a stretch but her picture is on all the papers such a happy, happy story. And the news yesterday full of those cops in Australia and they close to tears with joy at having found her. It was really, really nice. And only one paper this morning has the COVID situation on the front page. We thought yesterday that um, we were in trouble when we heard that Neffet was meeting. Now, Sean Defoe did take the wind out of our fears a little bit by saying that meeting was kind of planned with a couple of days anyway. But the the, the general gist of what Tony Houlihan had to say yesterday was the good bit is we ain't going back to restrictions, not, that, not anytime soon. We're not going back to close down. At least not now. But for now what he wants us to do is lessen the number of people that we associate with. Like, don't be going out into mad crowds. Don't be going charging into packed nightclubs and packed pubs just because they're open and just because they're there. Limit the number of people that you see socially and, and try to keep it, I'm reading his words, try to keep it to people that you know when you're going out socially. Through an improvement in, in our collective adherence uh, and an improvement in the kind of environments in which we're spending time, uh, and each of us being more mindful about how we plan and our social contacts and, and managing that in a way that uh, uh, limits the risk of transmission. It's, it's, these are the kinds of measures that we think can be successful. That will mean cutting contacts and, and, and thinking a little bit and being more mindful of the plans that you have over a period of time, over the next week, over the next two weeks, uh, to kind of ration, uh, um, if you like, uh, the kinds of discretionary activities that you might undertake. Uh, and if it is a thing as you're planning to you know, have a number of people over to the house, maybe it's 
a smaller number of people. We're not giving contemplation at this point in time to additional and wider measures. That's the best bit at the end, not remember it's at this time, but they're not contemplating. One thing that is good is that the hospital numbers appear to be, and I say appear to be in large block capitals, appear to be stabilising. They're high, but they're stabilising a bit. Uh, pointing out yesterday also that the highest number of new cases now is in the 19 to 25 year olds. Last week it was coming from the 7 to 12 year olds. It's it's in very young people, um, very young people. So the daily case numbers are high and concerning and we'd love to get them down. But the hospital numbers and the ICU numbers, while they are, indeed they are uh, concerning, they're not overly so... I'll come back to it on antigen testing. Let's go to uh, Fanula Walsh from the Irish Sun, who's been across this uh, Neffet briefing. Fanula, good morning. Morning, PJ. How's things? Good. I'm trying to sum it up there as best as I can for listeners. But Tony Hullohan, cautious, but at this stage, she's saying, "Look, let's just let's just hold firm here." Yeah, exactly. So his kind of central message yesterday is to cut down on social contacts, to kind of dial down the amount of people that we're all meeting. They're saying that we're at exceptionally high levels of infection right now. And he was kind of saying that even though they're not uh, looking at a kind of circuit breaker lockdown, that these kind of lockdown measures kind of took away the choice from people. So if the pub is closed, you're not going to go to the pub. Now the situation is that you have to decide for yourself. Mm. Um, And he's kind of saying that, you know, cutting down the amount of times that you go to these, he would call them high-risk activities, so that you're not going out every single night, maybe like every 10 days or every fortnight or something like that. He was saying himself, uh, he's planning to go to a concert coming up in the next couple of weeks. He wouldn't say exactly which one, Mm. Um, but he was saying that these kind of high-risk activities, um, you know, we are allowed to go to them, but it's just more um, being more conscious Mm. of... um, the amount of people that we're meeting up. I think as well, what I'm hearing him saying is, look, go out with people that you know who are being as that you know are being as careful as you are, and don't yes. take risks with who you meet up with. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And um, yeah, so they were kind of saying that, um, you know, they gave a good example that if they were to kind of switch off uh, the effects that the vaccine is having at the moment that we'd be looking at up to 10,000 cases within four or five days. And then then another four days of that, it would be times four again. So, you know, the vaccines are working, but uh, we do need to go back to that personal responsibility again, which I know is kind of like Groundhog Day. I know. Could you get maybe a tiny bit closer to your phone there, Fanola, if you could for me, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, yes. On the subject of antigen testing, and we've heard one or two um, academics and such people saying in the last few days, I think Christine Losher was one of them, she said, now is the time to be giving out antigen tests free, and they would be literally become part of our lives, that we would all test ourselves a couple of times a week just to monitor our infectiousness. Uh, he's still not 100% sold on antigen, is yes. he? No, he's not. So we're seeing a lot of um, pharmacies experiencing like huge surges of people looking for antigen testing. But uh, Tony himself is a bit hesitant about it. He's saying that antigen tests should be kind of used as supplements 
um, to the other measures. Of course, the PCR test is king for them, but they say it, it's a good um, kind of way of finding positive tests within kind of the asymptomatic yeah. community. But yeah, um, they they definitely are not um, 100% behind the antigen test. Did you get, lastly, Fiona, did, did you get a sense from him yesterday that he is concerned or that he's just being as cautious as we know him to be? Um, kind of a bit of both. I feel like uh, the cases speak for themselves. I mean, we're at the highest amount of socialisation that we've been since the pandemic began. You know, we're at the, the highest amount of cases, like only topped by, you know, Christmas time last year and the, the start of January um, this year. So, you know, he has to be very cautious because, you know, the, there is such high cases, but just the fact that they're not really talking about any kind of lockdown coming back and that they're saying that the hospitalizations aren't really being translated at the moment. And mm. so, you know, for every thousand cases, there's going to be about 35 hospitalizations and we were at about 3,000 cases per day. So um, one thing that Professor Philip Nolan was saying is that there is actually a, a very small decline in the amount of hospitalizations that we're at. Um, so, yes, they are being very cautious, but um, they're, they're saying that, you know, what we're doing is working. Okay. Um, and that's something that Leo Varadkar was saying as well yesterday, that, you know, the, the vaccine wall is holding and that they're kind of expecting this amount of uh, cases. So they're kind of going to hold firm on what we're doing at the moment. Okay. And that seems to be their plan. <laughs> okay. okay, that's not the best line in the world for Noel, so I'll leave you there for now. Thanks very much. That's Fanil Walsh from the Irish Sun. So we're not, we're not panicking. Nobody's panicking yet. The numbers are a bit high, but nobody's panicking just yet. On the antigen tests, and what it was actually Christine Lusher who said this, that we should all have them now in the in the whole home. They should be given out to us. They should be free, and we should be using them every couple of days just to make sure that we are uh, not infectious. And this is what he had to say to suggestions like that. Through an improvement in in our collective adherence. Right, wrong clip. Here you go. There have always been appropriate circumstances for antigen tests to be used, but in a widespread situation where they're widely available, there's a real risk because I think there is a substantial amount of public confusion about antigen tests uh, that they get applied in circumstances which they shouldn't be applied, used in situations where people are symptomatic. We haven't given specific advice that they should be made widely available free of charge. Now, I'm not inclined to agree with him there. I think the public have bought into the antigen test thing and would know how to use them and would use them carefully. I think he's being a little unfair to the public there. They have bought into this. People are prepared to learn how to use them. And I was one of the ones a few months ago who said, no, I don't like this idea of taking a test and that you buy in Tesco's. I, you know, I don't know, but people seem to have bought into it and prepared to check themselves out. I'd be with Christine Losher on this one. Give them out, give them out free and let people use them as a matter of course. 1857 We talked yesterday to a couple of student nurses on the programme about their plight over the last few months and the fact that they're working long, long, long placement hours and they're not getting paid. And sometimes it's a decision of, right, do I get the bus home now after my uh, shift uh, in placement or do I walk? Because if I walk, I can at least afford to buy something to eat. And it's really, really tight for them at the moment. And they, they're not, they don't seem to be getting the respect that they deserve. Um, 
Orla was on to us after the programme. I support student nurses 100%. They need to be paid. I've seen firsthand pre-pandemic how hard they work. They're always wanting to help the complex children. They're always curious to find out more about our kids. They want to learn. We have the best qualified nurses in the world and we're not retaining them. I don't blame them going abroad. And Marie said, my daughter wants to become a nurse, like I was. I'm strongly opposed to it. The way they're being treated is a disgrace. They're expected to take the place of a staff nurse if there is a staff shortage. They're coming and taking more responsibility than was designed for them because of such a shortage. We then got a note yesterday afternoon to say, "Eh, could we spare a thought, please, for student veterinary nurses? It's one we mightn't have thought of. I'll talk to one next. 1850 So, Carrie, you're a student veterinary nurse, and there's a lot of placement work that's unpaid for you, isn't there? Good morning. Good morning. Um, Yeah, so basically, now, I think every course changes a little bit in Ireland, but the course that I'm doing in particular, over the two years that I'm in college, I have to do 825 hours. 825 hours. That's 20 weeks, isn't it? Or the bones off. Um, Kind of, yeah. So it's broken up now. We'll do block weeks at some stage during the course. um, And then typically for a second year, which I'm in now, I'll do Mondays and Tuesdays in, um, in practice. Right. And do you have to find a practice yourself and then you work a full shift? Is that it? Yeah. So we'd find it before we start in college. Right. And that was more difficult through COVID, wasn't it? Because you couldn't actually go to a lot of these places. Yeah, and it's kind of funny how it's affected it, really, because at the moment now, after COVID, there's a lot more practice that's actually looking for students. But in my case, I actually started the course in um, 2019. So I was working away through all of that. And obviously in March 2020, in the first lockdown, I had to stop going into practice and moved home, finished the course online. Then because of the 825 hours which we had to complete when I moved back to Cork in July to start my second year, there was this kind of huge pressure on me then to, you know, complete the hours and kind of catch up on the work experience I had missed so I could keep up with the workload for second year. Because am I right in asking, Carrie, like even though COVID and the lockdown placed such restrictions on when you could get your practice in, you still had to get it in in order to graduate? Yeah. Yeah, we did. So how did you do it in the end? Um, I actually ended up deferring the course um, about this time last year, actually, because of the pressure I really had to keep up with work experience and get in basically as much as I possibly could. But on top of that, 
doing a full-time course and obviously working as well to be able to afford accommodation down in Cork because mm. I'm from Tipperary originally. It was just this kind of huge pressure load on me. So I ended up deferring the course, working for the year to really put myself in a better financial situation and a better balance between work, college and work experience itself. Yeah. And I guess we, we forget, unless we have um, four-legged friends, we forget that veterinary <laughs> nurses play a very important role too. Yeah, I think a lot of people really don't realise what's involved in the course to become a veterinary nurse unless, you know, you're doing it yourself or maybe you're a family member or a friend, you know, that actually is in it. I don't think the issue is really talked about or kind of raised enough. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got to learn, even for a typical small animal practice, you've got to learn the biology of a cat, the biology of a dog. You've probably got to learn about rabbits. So there's a very wide broad spectrum of knowledge that you've got to have plus the fact that you know a, a human nurse at least for most of the time anyway her 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 clients won't bite <laughs> yeah that's definitely a fear when we're inside in practice <laughs> <laughs> or scratch do you know <laughs> do you love us Carrie are you going you've gone back I take it oh I absolutely love it yeah since I was basically knee height I knew I wanted to work with animals it's all that I want to do yeah and is it that you do you think that as well as the, the delay in getting the practice, do you think that you should be paid for the practice hours? I think it's really hard to find a solution because obviously we are learning when we're in practice, mm. you know, and we are being taught by absolutely lovely veterinary nurses or vets. So it's really hard to say then, I feel on myself anyway, I feel like it's hard to say when they're teaching me and they're being so lovely to me that I should be paid. But I feel like maybe there should be some sort of subsidy in accommodation or transport fees or something like that. Mm. Because the pressure that's on us to really work full time, maintain whatever's going on in our personal lives and then have our work experience and a full time, very kind of heavy workload course on top of that. Mm. It's really, really difficult to balance and then to come out and have that knowledge to be a good veterinary nurse at the end of it all. Because I have some insight into this and, and I understand that even if you're working with the most wonderful practice in Ireland, and you're getting on so they're not actually allowed to pay you when you're a student? No, they're not. I think it's kind of because of insurance-wise with the college that they're obviously covering us if something happens. So I think there's kind of an issue in it that way. Yeah. Which always struck me as a little bit unfair that, you know, if you're contributing to the practice and the owner of the practice wants to give Carrie a few quid at the end of the week because of the good job she's been doing around the place, he or she's not allowed to do that. I always thought that was a bit unfair. Yeah, I know it's very hard, as I said, you now to find the solution in that as well, do you know? Yeah. Of what kind of what the solution I suppose would be. Yeah. Yeah. But how many do you know how many veterinary nurses there are in the country, Kerry? Any idea? It's a very small amount, I think. As far as I know, it's around a thousand, but I could be kind of wrong in saying that. Yeah. I haven't actually heard the figures in a while. It depends on the size of the practice, how many they'll have, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Okay. Listen. It's it. I I personally, as I said, have some insight into this, so so I know what it's like the training. I know how hard the training is. Um, so yeah. uh, so well done for getting through it. <laughs> Thank you. And, really uh, appreciate that. Good luck in your career. <laughs> Thank you. Take care, Carrie. Cheers. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Yeah, of course I have some some insight into this. My daughter's a veterinary nurse. I think I've said it before. My daughter's a veterinary nurse, and I know the hours that they do. In practice, long, hard hours. Like, for example, there were mornings when she was off at quarter past six, 
uh, off out in winter weather to go to a farm to do testing with the vet. Because obviously you've got to see how the tests are done in cold, wet, windy mornings in the wintertime. She's off in the car, diligent as they are, to, to do testing and stuff like that. So they do work a lot of hours. Don't get paid for it. And even if the practice... I think, it's, I think this is totally unfair. Even if the practice that they're doing their placement with wants to pay them, they can't. Now, that's not fair. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Make the perfect chip at home with their chipping potatoes. Once you taste them, you'll be back for more. Now in store. Corks 96FM. Yeah, Anne was on by email to opinion at 96FM.ie. said, Antigen tests are the norm in the UK, PJ. It's a tool for personal safety once or twice a week. At least if there's an issue then, a PCR will be booked and it confirms that all is either well or unwell. Uh, PCR is the norm and it's free in the UK. Unfortunately, here in Ireland, the only private PCR you can get the same day result is €100. Euro. Yeah. Uh, you have to go to... like You can still get sent for the HSE free PCR, but you'll be waiting 24 to 48 hours for that result. But if you want a private one back the same day, you're talking about a... a hundred-odd quid, at least, in, in some of the pharmacies, which is very, very pricey. Um... 1850-715-996. Hi, my name is uh, Sinead. I'm from Cork, living in Leeds. Good morning, Leeds. Listening to your show every morning. Uh, every single day I can order a box of tests, eight a day, for free next day delivery. I can do this if I want to, seven days a week. It gives us all peace of mind, especially with kids in school and my husband working. My mother-in-law recently picked up COVID and to test the whole family they had to leave the house to go to a chemist while infected and pay €21 Euro for three tests. That's a here, of course. I think this is very unfair, as it's not cheap. My mother-in-law lives in Cork. Figure that one out for yourself, though. Right? She can have a box of tests with eight tests delivered free. And she can do that seven days a week so they can test themselves as often as they want to make sure they're not infectious. You see, that's how you do stuff. And then, PJ, what would you think of a 40-year-old mum living with a young adult son who has bad asthma? Uh, called the doctor for a flu jab and was told the scheme doesn't cover it. Now, what's up with that? Last year, they were pushing it for free. There was no problem getting it. I thought we were supposed to be worried about flu this year more than any and also trying to stop people getting COVID or getting fake COVID, whatever. I don't heard. Same doctor, same everything. I would have thought that if your son or if the person's son has asthma, isn't asthma on the the long-term illness list? I may be wrong with that, but isn't asthma on the long-term illness list so everything is covered or should be covered? 
Isn't but don't asthmatics get a free flu jab? Am I wrong or right there? Thankfully, there are no asthmatics in my family. Don't asthmatics get a free flu jab? Someone will will put me right if I'm if I'm wrong. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We were talking about spiking and the dangers of spiking, and it's a real problem. I was asking my daughter this morning, actually I saw her this morning, had she come across anybody who was spiked or heard of anyone being spiked? And she said, well, she'd been coming across it on her social media. She didn't know anybody in her own circle that had been spiked. At this stage anyway. 1850-715-996, UCC Students Union. Taking action this week against the new scourge of spiking with needles. We've talked to Mary Crilly about it and we've focused on it in the last number of weeks. We spoke to the uh, Students' Union at CIT or, I beg your pardon, MTU uh, the Kerry end of MTU in the last couple of weeks about spiking there but here in UCC the Students' Union are stepping up on the the needling, you might even call it needling rather than spiking. Quiva Walsh's welfare officer. Quiva, have you had cases on campus yet? Do you know? Good morning. Hi, um, so luckily we've had none in Cork at the moment, but we have had students from UCC go uh, in other counties get spiked with needles. So um, it just like, obviously we were concerned about that. So we wanted to just uh, do something about it. What are you doing? Yeah, so um, this evening at six o'clock, we're actually having like a kind of like vigil slash like um, stand in solidarity with those who've been spiked. We just want to raise awareness around um, how severe it is and like what it, like what could possibly happen to people. Um, we are we have a lot of speakers coming and hopefully um, we just raise awareness around you know like if what happens if you think you've been spiked or what to do if you think your friend has been spiked. Mm. Um, we just think it's becoming a lot more serious now um, than it ever was before. You've and also issued an open letter to the pubs and nightclubs, haven't you? Yeah, so we're running this event with the Bystander Intervention Programme in UCC. Um, so we sent out an open letter to the pubs and nightclubs in around the city and we've asked them to put more um, better measures in place and also advise them to maybe um, do the bystander intervention training. Um, we've all done it in UCC um, Student Union ourselves and it's... I think it's really beneficial and it would be great mm. to see bar staff. Have Tell me a little bit about that. What is that? I mean, I know we've talked about it before with, with other student leaders, but what is bystander intervention? Yeah, so it's basically, it's like a, it's like a module on our canvas um, in UCC. So um, it basically teaches you how to intervene safely into um, things you could see happen like on nights out, like, you know, to do with like racism, sexual assault, bullying. It like shows you how to like, properly intervene um it's really really good um you know even us once when we did it um the six of us on the students union within the few weeks after all of us had actually ended up intervening in different situations ourselves um so it's just something that we think is really important and really should be rolled out yeah it's it's hard i guess for someone on the door of a club to watch everybody going in uh, so the little tiny needle in in the pocket of somebody's jacket it's it's very hard yeah. to pick up on that. So so oh, what yeah, what, what would yeah. you think that nightclubs and bars should do? How can they help? Yeah, so you know we're aware that like you won't be able to stop everything, you won't be able to find everything, but um just maybe more thorough searches um going in and then as I said maybe having like something like that program done just uh if you were to see it happen in the nightclub or in the pub later on that you knew how to deal with it properly. Mm. Um 
would be the main thing for us even if we if other people were aware of it too we're kind of pushing that like if you are out and you see something like that happen to report it straight away to bar staff or security inside in the pub or nightclub you're in Yes, yes. And also, if you see someone, and this is something I remember from my own time in the nightclub game, if you see someone stumbling around the club, don't just assume that they've been overdoing it on, on the Sambucas. Yeah. There may be something else going on there. and Keep an eye to them. Yeah, that's a big thing as well. Um, and we actually learned about that in Bystander. You know, if you see someone like that, you always ask if they're okay. Mm. Um, and if they're alone, like, try, like, see, you know, are they with their friends? Like, who are they with? Try to figure out and make sure they're fine. Um, because as you just said there, you don't know, like they, they could have been spiked or something like that. Yeah, yeah. All right, Griva. Good luck with your with your gathering this evening and indeed with your with your campaign. It's a very, very uh, what's the word? Sinister development uh in, in spiking of drink and spiking of I've heard of food spiked, believe it or not. In, you know, back in my time when you'd get a curry inside in a nightclub, and that's a few years ago, I admit that. But I remember curry being spiked. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, back in the day, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Students, you can do that this evening. Couple more of these. Uh, here we go. Kate says, "I think anyone jabbing, yeah, this is the spiking. Anyone jabbing anyone else should be charged with something along the lines of GBH or attempted manslaughter. You don't know what the reaction will be if the infection will get infected or what happens if the person falls. It's very." very dangerous. I think a lot of people are very angry about that. Like if you're, if you're going around spiking people with needles the law needs to throw the book at you. It's true Kate. On COVID testing, hi, just wondering if anyone else is having issues with getting a COVID test. Friends of mine's a close contact of a confirmed case. She wanted to get herself and her kids tested but the earliest appointment Saturday afternoon the 6th. That's a while away. And of course you're isolating and limiting your movements until then. Just a quick note on antigen testing. The test provides great peace of mind. We have a 23-year-old and a 20-year-old in our family. We have recently had colds and stuff. It's great to have a reliable test to provide peace of mind without disruption and having to book testing externally. I sourced my test packs in the UK and I wouldn't be without them. The test is very easy to use. The instructions are very clear. A great tool in the box. They should be distributed. And as I said, that was an amazing message we had from Sinead, who's in Leeds, uh, that can... I remember, like, this is just an ordinary family in Leeds. She can order every day a box of eight tests. She can order it seven days a week if she wants to, and it's delivered free the next day. That's Leeds. Now, you can get them in Cork. I was passing them in a shop this morning. They're four or five quid each each. So that's if she was getting eight a day that's 40 quid a day seven days a week, that's seven pours, that's 280 quid a week but she's got them for free 1850 Uh Deputy Colin Bork has come up with a proposal interesting proposal uh, he wants to limit the number of cigarettes that can be contained in a pack to 20. Now, I always thought, I'm not a smoker, I never have smoked. I always thought that that was a standard pack, either 10 or 20. There was a 15 as well, wasn't there at some point. But what I'm reading into this is that he's saying you can't buy a carton. Now, I could be wrong on that. But it seems to be that 
he's think he wants to live. You can't buy a carton like people would buy ten packs of twenty. That all you can buy is one pack of twenty at one time. That's what I think he wants to do. John Mallon is a spokesperson for Forest Ireland. We've talked many times. John, is th- am I reading it wrong? Is that what he wants to do? Good morning. <laughs> well, you've actually thrown me completely there, PJ. <laughs> I wasn't reading that into it at all. But uh, yeah, of course you can get packs of 200 uh, from your, your local uh, black market. Uh, that's how they sell them, in fact. It's their preference and they sell them at uh, half the price. Or you can bring them home from Spain. Or you can bring them home legally from Spain. And in fact, uh, on that score, you can bring them in from any EU country uh, as many as you want as long as you buy them in a shop in the town if you buy them in the duty free in the airport right. you're limited but yeah I mean you, you can get them cheaper uh, this is uh, I, I don't understand it really uh, what, what Colm is on about here um, he, Is he suggesting maybe John that it'd be something like the paracetamol law that you can only buy one box is he suggesting you can only buy maybe one box of 20 here but the paracetamol law is quite easy to get around. You just go to several. Oh, I know that, stops. but I'm just suggesting is that is that what he's at? I don't know. It, it, it seems uh, sort of nonsensical, really. It, it's a bit impractical. Um, but the, the issue with the cigarettes is they're a consumer choice. I mean, we, we've a ban on ten packs. I don't know how that worked. Uh, but I, I, most of the guys I knew used to go to ten packs when they were trying to quit. That was the, the, the route out of cigarettes at that time. Um, I can remember when you could buy cigarettes in ones and twos. Uh, yeah. in several shops around the place. Um, there's a display ban, plain packaging, graphic warnings, all the rest of it. Uh, but it's a legal product, and they have to be careful, the politicians. They're, they're happy to take $1.2 billion, billion in revenue every year from smokers, uh, and yet trying to, to, to restrict them. Um, the, the restrictions are getting excessive now, and, of course, the more you restrict uh, access to, 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 to legal cigarettes, the more, of course, you, you drive the poor smoker towards the illegal market. And we can see how that is recently. With the, there's absolutely millions of cigarettes being caught recently by revenue. And, of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg there, you know. It's, it's, it, it seems to be counterproductive, what they're trying to... Now, this one, like you, I'm a bit confused about. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't smoke anymore, so I don't know if you can buy two... Oh, hang on. You don't smoke anymore? No, I gave up smoking. <laughs> But I, 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 okay. haven't, I haven't given up. Um, uh, Are you still vaping, by the way? I, well, I used vaping for two years to quit smoking. That right. got me off them. And it was, it was a bit, you know, what everyone does with e-cigarettes is a bit of a jewel. You, you yeah. smoke and you vape. Uh, and so then the, the defender of the rights of the smoker in Ireland, John, is now a non-smoker. You which? The defender of the rights of the smoker in uh, Ireland uh, is now a non But there's an irony there, uh, John Mellon. No, not at all. In fact, the, the head of Forest UK, um, uh, Simon, Simon Clark, has been a non-smoker all his life. But it, you see, it's always been about um, consumer rights. This is not about... Uh, I, I never advocate smoking to anybody. I never have done, uh, either on air or off air. Uh, this is all about the, the right to do. To, you know, you, you were talking about antigen tests early on, and there's a lot of people out there want to make the vaccine compulsive. Uh, it's about rights, really, uh, that you have the right to decide for yourself. Um, now, you know, th- he put forward this idea of saying that, that he wants the, the cigarette box limited to 20, but uh, Siobhan Brophy from the Tobacco and Alcohol Control Unit at, at the same uh, joint uh, committee hearing on, on health, 
she she said uh, that no, that today's evidence showed that the ability to purchase cigarettes in lower numbers is where the problem lies. Uh, that was her saying. So so buying so if there's more than 20 cigarettes in a box, that's not a problem, uh, according to to uh, the Irish Tobacco and Alcohol Control Unit, and that that makes kind of sense really. The other makes no sense at all. Mm. Yeah, you can buy. I'm getting messages here now. You can buy a box of 27 of one brand and a box of 28 of another brand and apparently if there's more in the box it it makes them a little a little bit cheaper Right, I wasn't aware of that Uh, like I say, I'm not buying them and for the last uh, five or six years I was smoking, I was rolling my own Right. Why did you give up in the end? Yeah, it's just personal reasons, you know. I've, I've always maintained that a person's health uh, is between their sel- themselves and their GP, uh, and everyone has their own. I mean, I, I didn't give them up because I was ill. Um, I gave them up, uh, in fact, because I got an X-ray to tell me my, my lungs were extremely healthy. The, the radiologist told me that looking at my X-ray, she could see I'd never smoked a cigarette in my life, and I had been on 40 a day for quite a while. And it just seemed to me that that was a get-out-of-jail card, if you like. But equally, you know, I, 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 there are several things in life, like, like alcohol, like, like how much you eat and so on, you know, obesity. You, you look at these things and you re-regulate your own, your own behaviour. Uh, normal people would. It's very much the personal responsibility thing that we, tr- we, we, we drone on about. Like exactly. you said to me before, you know, cigarettes, they're a legal product. Yeah. Until such time as they become illegal, people are entitled to buy them if they wish to do so. And I I really, I enjoy, I smoked for for nearly 49 years and I enjoyed them. I love them. I miss them. Um, but they're out of my life now, uh, like, like a, a number of other things of, over time. You know, they, they, they don't last forever. And uh, I was quite happy when I smoked, and I had the right to smoke, and I'm quite happy that I had the right to quit. Uh, and and that, that's what you want in a democratic country, not restrictions and bans and excessive uh, tax on people and so on because they enjoy smoke. That, that is always the wrong approach. And it certainly, you know, that doesn't talk to the smoker. It talks at them. Uh, and this type of nonsense, larger packs and all this, that's, it's just more nonsense that, that puts smokers off. And inevitably, uh, the $1.2 billion is a big amount of money for this country in revenue. Uh, and if that ends up going to the black market, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that won't be a good day for the politicians. I think we can clarify the carton of 200 as well. There's no problem with that. It's the individual pack. Just got a WhatsApp message here. Someone else who seems to read the proposal. You can get 32 or you can get 29. Some brands have 24. He just wants to limit it to 20. There's, there's no issue with buying the carton of 200. So. Well, I, my own recollection, PJ, uh, from, from growing up was the pack of 20 fitted into the shirt pocket. Do you remember they, we used to put... I never the used them, so I don't know. The, there was the, 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 uh, the pack of 20 fitted in one side and your lighter in the other shirt pocket, you know, the breast pockets of the shirt. Uh, that, that was, uh, so I don't know how a, a box of 29 would fit there, but um, it, 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 I think it's pretty immaterial. You know, yeah. the, the, during the pandemic, I noticed the, the little that I did notice. Uh, I, I tried to stay away from the shops completely, but the odd time that I did go into the supermarket, I noticed that smokers in the queue ahead of me seemed to be buying in bulk. Yeah, that, that you did. I, you're right. I did see that too. John, thanks. I'll leave it there. John Mallon of Forest, Ireland. Uh, Cullenburg wants to ban the bigger packs. So limit would be 20. Now, don't forget the succession competition ongoing opportunity for you to win a holiday in New York worth €10,000 flights, limo transfer, five-star hotel, the whole thing. The question you've got to answer, who plays Logan Roy 
in succession? Is it A, Brian Cox, or B, Courtney Cox? Do you text the word holiday and your answer, A or B, and your name to 57080? Text for two euro. Now, you must be over 18 to enter. All the T's and C's are at 96fm.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Getting a lot of response to the antigen test question and the fact that people in the UK seem to just be using them now as a matter of course keeping them in the house, they get them for free as many as they want of them from the NHS and they're just using it as a sort of a safety check for their families. Hi Paige, I'm visiting Cork at the moment from London to see my family. I brought my tests with me every day and I check because my parents are vulnerable. I think myself if these lateral flow tests were free here, a lot more people would do the testing at home. They're so easy to do. You get the results in less than half an hour. I do feel safe then being around my family, knowing I'm doing my bit. Love the show. Thank you for that. 1850-715-996. Mags was back on saying she only ever had one experience with um, tequila and uh, it didn't end well. (laughs) It never does, does it, Mags? There's an old poster, you know these posters you get these lovely wooden ones, you get them in the in the range or other such shops around the place, there's one that I've seen in a few kitchens one tequila, two tequila three tequila, floor and it's it's true the aforementioned Colin Burke joins me now Colin, I want to talk to you about, about passports and, and the delay in getting passports but come back to that thing I was discussing with, with John from Forest Aaron what is it you want to do with, with cigarettes and, and the boxes of cigarettes good morning good morning PJ first of all um, I've just come out of a public accounts committee so my apologies for um, if I may have to leave in a few minutes it's an item on the agenda but basically in relation to the sale of cigarettes the interesting thing is that during the lockdown in fact the sale of tobacco and tobacco products went up by 150 million um, in a 12 month time period and I presume part of that is because people weren't able to travel abroad therefore weren't able to buy weren't able to bring back um, obviously cigarettes coming back in that way uh, reduced considerably in relation to the we raised the minimum number of cigarettes that can be sold in a pack is 20 and there was a lot of um, complaints about that when that was introduced a number of years ago uh, and the whole idea was to, I suppose, discourage young people from buying cigarettes by making sure that they were in a pack of at least 20. Um, and there was a cost factor then for young people and therefore trying to steer them away from getting into buying cigarettes. Um, the issue then arose where the cigarette companies responded in a different way in that they started increasing the packs of cigarettes to 23, 25, 27. Now, I've no problem with that. 
but there is an issue say if you have someone who's on 20 cigarettes a day mm. and they decide to buy a pack of 27 the likelihood is that they will smoke that entire pack um, during the course of the day Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, thirty percent now of all cigarettes are sold in packs of greater than twenty. And mm. and you want to limit it? Just it'll just be well, a twenty I, I, pack. I just think, I think we'll just need to have that discussion. Is mm-hmm. it you know if thirty percent, if the number of if the amount of cigarettes not being sold is gone up to thirty percent, which are sold in packs of greater than twenty, then let's have the discussion. Uh, remember, six thousand people a year die in this country. Uh, which are related to uh, these are deaths directly related smoking to related. Smoking. John Mellon's argument and was look it's a freely available freely legally available product and it's up to people to exercise their own responsibility Yeah but you know Peter the tobacco companies have been very good as regards marketing down over the last 50 years they've responded to change we've brought in the regulation to try and and there's clear evidence and the tobacco companies fought for a, quite a large no, long number of years about you know tobacco smoking cigarettes didn't affect your health and you know the, what we're saying is um look we must do everything possible okay. to try and assist those and remember someone who's smoking i mean i remember my own family who are smokers it is very difficult for people who are smoking to get off cigarettes and there's no question or doubt about that and i think we need to make sure we have um you know we need to do a lot more in that area okay. as well as try, trying to assist those people to come off cigarettes okay i just wanted uh, to, 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 to touch on it since i'd had uh, john on before 10. the problem i want to discuss with your column is one that came into us right across the summer and moreover now as people can travel again trying to get a passport a renewed or b a, a new one now we know anecdotally that the online service is working like a dream and if you have an existing passport you'll get a new one in a matter of days online but there still seems to be an awful backlog particularly with new passports yeah absolutely and uh, and in fairness, even online passport applications are running into difficulties as well. But just to give the numbers out there, PJ, there was 455,000 passports issued since the 1st of April to the 15th of October. So it's a 28-week time period. Uh, I think that works out at about 16,000 passports per week, mm. which is a huge number of passports. Um, 430 those. Uh, related to passports online. That's 430,000 out of the 455,000 and 25,000 were postal applications. Now, of that then, of that 455,000, 75,000 were renewals, which are straightforward enough. Yes. But the 25% were first-time applications. Why is there such a problem with the first-time application? It's just the whole processing seems to be taking now. They're saying it's 40 working days, which is eight weeks. Now, is that if there's a glitch in the application... This is a question, Colm. I'm sorry. In, in 2021, why should it take 40 working days? That is... Like, that's eight weeks. To, if your paperwork is in order, if your paperwork absolutely. is in order, it shouldn't take... It shouldn't take eight weeks. Well, that's one of the issues that we're trying to resolve at this stage as regards reducing down that period of time and it's just the volume. It's like <clears throat> it's like dealing with medical cards. For instance, the medical card centre gets in ten thousand letters a day. Yeah. So, like you're talking about volume. Likewise, here four hundred fifty-five thousand applications in yeah. a period of eight, twenty-eight weeks. Now, the big thing is well, and I, I'm not. How many printing presses do we, we do by the, do we have <clears throat> by the way? 
I'm not sure what the position that because I know that there are talk, there there is a new uh, printing press being uh, produced or uh, being being built to deal with the volume. But can I just say, like I was at a meeting last night of our own parliamentary party, and everyone is raising concerns about this. It is not good enough that there are these delays. It is not good enough that it's 40 working days before a passport can be issued. And everything possible must be done yeah. to try and reduce down the time frame. Because it's and the other, sorry, Colm, it's the other anomalies <clears throat> within it. Like, it's 40 working days if you go into the passport office and you do it that way. But then there was the passport expressed through the post. And I had occasion to use that. That was much quicker. That was a couple of weeks. Like, it takes a couple of weeks one way. It takes eight weeks another <clears throat> way. It takes yep. 72 hours online. Like, there seems to be no order or meaning to how long it takes. Yeah, but I, but I think the fact that you know we have we have so much um, you know that the fact that there was so many processed I think is is evidence that the work is being done. Now the big issue that is going to arise in <clears throat> in 2022 is that there's a huge number of passports to expire in 2022, um, and that people should be aware of that. So if their passport is expiring now, they shouldn't wait until 2022 when they're about to go on holidays to renew their passport, they should do it now and get it up and running. Mm. Because my understanding is that there's well over one million passports to expire in 2022. And you know what? It is a person's responsibility. I I always say the day you book your holiday is the day they check your passport. A passport. And and that's the reason why you came on to you, PJ. Do you you know why the eight weeks is the eight weeks is the important thing? I don't. And I suppose what we're trying to do now is get the department, we're taking on more people to try and get that time period down. The big issue that I have about the eight weeks, it's not just about eight weeks. If there's any glitch in the application, yeah. the application, and then they say, say for a simple thing, like there's a birth cert not provided or you know something occurs, and then they, they, the parent has to send that in. The eight weeks then only starts running again, it appears, from the time it's sent in. And that's the complaint that I have about the system. Yeah. That, you, you, you know, you could be waiting far longer than eight weeks mm-hmm. uh, and shouldn't occur. And <clears throat> the other issue that I have is is where we where there's no connectivity between certain sections and documents are filed and it's not transferred on to the to the applicant's file and we need to work those out as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of work to be done. There is a lot of work being done, but I think it's important that people realise that in two thousand and twenty two over one million passports are to expire. Therefore, yeah. there would be a big or, demand. For your, the, so. the day you book your flight <clears throat> for your holiday is the day to check that your passport will yeah. be in order. What about the EU passport card uh, that you can go to any one of the 27, 28 member states? Uh, is, is, is that as, as, as slow to turn around? No, what they're saying is of the 430,000 applications, um, they, so they were related, so it was 455,000 passports and cards. Now, I don't have a breakdown for what were pa- passports and what were cards, and that's something that I'm, I'll go and check. But they are, um, I mean, the card is extremely, you know, effective, and it's 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 good to have. And mm. I think a lot of people are applying for those now, but I haven't seen, I haven't got the figures for the time period for getting the card. Yeah. Actually, there's a question that comes to mind. Is the card accepted in the UK post-Brexit? I would imagine that it is. Um, you know, you we can fly into the UK. We have agreements with the UK. Um, and 
the it is not as strict as flying to into other uh, yeah. countries. Um, so I would imagine that the card is okay. is uh, acceptable as uh, proof of identification. Okay. Come back to the the printing. Lastly and briefly, uh, I, I, you'd say there's a new printing press going. We we do we print in the Cork office, and if not, why not? Surely that would take the pressure off the off, off the Dublin base. I my understanding is we do not, but I'm open. That's open to clarification, and I'll, I can cross check that for you. But my understanding is we do we do not. We should be daft, isn't it? <clears throat> it is, and I suppose it's something that we need to look at. And this is about the whole regionalisation of a lot of services, whether it is healthcare, whether it is passports, whether it is a whole lot of areas. We should be able to do regionalisation of a lot more uh, on a lot more issues than what we're presently doing. Okay, thank you. We'll come back to this because there is no reason in the wide earthly world why in 2021, if your paperwork is in order, that it should take eight weeks to process a passport. There is no sense, rhyme or meaning to it. Particularly when you can do the passport by post and you go into the post office. I remember the last time I used it and this is how efficient it was. I went into the post office. I can't remember what one it was now, but it was a fairly big one. Went into the post office, put my form and my photos and everything in as a passport express. The first thing they do was one of the senior staff goes through everything, ticked it and checked it for me. And I'd made a small mistake in my preparations. And she said, look, she said, you need to do X, Y and Z and come back tomorrow and I'll send it for you. That's the kind of efficiency in the post office. The online, remember I had to apply for a renewal of a passport for the boy in 2019 for the young fella and I was amazed it was back in three days landed in the mat in three days but eight weeks for a new one just makes no sense you don't need a passport or a card to enter the EU do you not? I thought you did but airlines have their own rules and some of them don't accept the card Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. With regards to flying to the UK, you still only need a photo ID, like a driver's license, to enter the UK from here, unless you're going with Ryanair. They demand the passport. I think Aer Lingus now also require a passport. I know the last time I went to the UK with Aer Lingus, which is a, a year or two ago, um, they needed to see, I needed to show a passport before I got on the plane. 1850-715-996. This is Brain Tumour Awareness Week running until Saturday. And as part of that, Brain Tumour Ireland is running its Hats Off Heroes initiative. Now, Ellen Hartnett is a recently qualified nurse. She's from Newmarket. And she looked after her mom, Julie, who had a brain tumour. And she was nominated by her friend, Alice O'Brien. Ellen is on the line now. Ellen, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. I think you're actually, you're graduating tomorrow, is it? Yeah, we're heading up to UCC in the morning. Um, There's 200 nurses qualified qualified and graduating in the morning so it's an exciting day for us congratulations tell Thank me tell much. me about your mum 
Mum, I suppose, back in 2014 um, was diagnosed with a brain tumour. It was in November, I suppose, we when I was in Leaving Cert at the time and I have two younger sisters, Emily and Faye, and they were in primary school. It was like any other morning. We headed off to school. Mum headed to work. She had a new job in Cork at the time. And we got home and I hadn't heard from her in a while. And then uh, my aunt Helen rang saying mum had been taken to the hospital. So we talked no more until we visited her that evening. And she said she kind of got a blackout. She was coming down the train from work and the ambulance brought her up. And she can't remember anything from that day. We were on the phone to her. She can't remember being at work. And it all kind of came around to it was actually a brain tumour. The scan showed up. So Mm -hmm. she had an operation that time. And, of course, we were delighted that it could be operated on. At the time, research showed that there didn't have to be um, any treatment. So we kind of got back into life again and life was normal. For about six years, I went back to uh, college. I was doing my CEO at the time and I suppose being up and down to hospital with mom and things, I was kind of saying the nurses were so good to us and to my family that, you know, I'd love to give back to other families what they gave to us. So I kind of put down nursing on my CEO and I started nursing mm. and it was kind of last November again. Um, Mom had one of her scans and I think we kind of, um, the scans were kind of every six months and I suppose we just got a text saying, I'll find thumbs up. Mm. And this particular day anyway, um, there was no text and the phone rang and she said, it's back. So of mm. course our hearts dropped and we said, here we go again. I suppose then there's kind of a few weeks of waiting where people kind of don't understand that you're given this bad news. And then there's kind of no follow up for a few weeks until they kind of start getting scans and treatment plans in place. And then um, she kind of that rolled into surgery and into kind of treatment. And then I suppose she was kind of struck with after there's kind of RSA guidelines that if your surgery within the few years again, the first second time you're off the road, meaning you've young kids and they want to get to school mm. and to training. And so I suppose that kind of opens up then to people having to pull together. Yeah. And this is what brings this campaign then kind of the brain tumor Ireland um, kind of supports people and their families that have been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Yeah. They kind of support them. And yeah. Like what's them all kind of, when you were working with mom and, and helping mom through her, particularly her second bout, like what was that? What was there for you through Brain Tumor Ireland? I suppose they kind of gave me guidance and support, really more than anything. I think the first time she was diagnosed, I suppose we were kind of saying I was only seventeen at the time. My younger sisters are kind of six and eight, and we we're kind of saying, "What's a brain tumor? We don't know what it is." I suppose we've heard of breast cancer, we've heard of other cancers, we didn't know what brain tumors were. So I suppose by Brain Tumor Ireland being there, it kind of answered our questions without having to ask mum, you know, 101 questions when she mightn't be wanting to answer or, you know, plaguing her all the time. Yeah, so they were, it's more they were there. They were there at the end of the phone if you needed them. And what I'm also hearing is not only were you studying at the time and going through college, and were you rearing your own little girl as well? Yeah, little Grace is her name. Um, I suppose I did uh, one year of nursing and Grace landed. <laughs> so so um, she was welcomed into the world. She's an absolute legend. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> there's a fair bit. <laughs> um, so we've all that in the mix. It's a busy house, all right. Uh, yeah. But sure, How's mom we kind of pull together. Um, so mom had her second surgery, we'll say last November, 12 months. Mm. And it was um, kind of dropped her up. And she was there for about a week or two. So it was very hard with COVID. You know, we couldn't go up or anything. And like my sisters are still young. So I suppose we we're kind of FaceTiming her and things. And then she came home and she faced six weeks of radiotherapy. Mm. So that was five days a week. It was fairly intense there, kind of in January and February. And we couldn't go in with her and things. So it's kind of waiting in the car up and down the road. And we're like an hour from CUH. So it was busy. And then in March time, she started chemo. And that's hopefully finishing in December. And please God, we'll have good news next year. Will Will she be at the graduation tomorrow? Or can she go? She will. Good. She sure will. She's proud out of us. So please, God, we'll have a lovely day. Fantastic. Well, listen, congratulations to you on that. And congratulations to you on your nomination as a, as a hats off hero for Brain Tumor Ireland. Ellen Hartnett, thank you so much for being with us on the opinion line. 1850-715-996. Line one is at lads on uh, passports. And the, the, Colin Burke was saying that it's taken about eight weeks to process the average new passport application and he he was saying that that's too long Alan you're saying eight weeks me me me, me I good morning good morning PJ how are things how are good. you good good what's your own experience just regarding the passports there do you know we were on um, we're trying to get a passport for our, for our baby girl do you know to go away yeah but we're waiting over 12 weeks for a passport to come 12 weeks no, we were inside in town there one day and we said, look, we'll walk past we'll walk past the passport office. So we were talking to the gentleman, the security guard inside there. He's a very nice guy, telling us blah, blah, blah. He said, take the link on the window. So we tried, We took the link on the window and when we went to the link on the window, it was saying that this link isn't available. Right. And then we tried, We her, Linda herself tried ringing him and uh, she 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 started to call her 26 or something like that and she went all the way to call her 2 and all of a sudden then the phone went dead as in they hung up on us oh god and 12 weeks how old is the little one Alan? she's a year and a half today to to be her first her first passport and you had all the paperwork in order and you have to get a load of it for a small child yeah, all the paperwork, and we got the green ticks when we were doing it online, and everything went ba- everything went past, and everything went through, and it's still. Right. So still all the paperwork's gone. in order, everything. All everything is in order, yeah. And twelve weeks. Yeah, that's insane. Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Still, still, still waiting on passport to come. Right. No, look, look, understand things get busy and people get up the walls, but they have to do something with passports because it's, it's not fair. No, it's not. That's ridiculous. 12 weeks is just mad. That's three months. Let's, let's you know, Cullen was saying, thanks, Alan. Cullen was saying 40 working days. Let's break this down. That's eight weeks. And, and Alan is now saying 12 weeks. That's three months with all the paperwork in order and checked and green ticked on the on. That makes no sense at all. None. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Plus the fact that I asked Colin that question for a specific reason. The don't print in Cork. I think they used to have a machine, but the don't print in Cork. What's the point of having a blasted passport office if they can't print them there? Surely that would help. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Corks Entertainment. Cork Film Festival have released their program for 2021, and this year's program features national and international films, documentaries, shorts, and QA panels. It takes place from Saturday, November 6th to the 12th with further information at corkfilmfest.org. Access all areas. Since 2018, the Quiet Lights Festival has brought some of the best in Irish and international acts to Cork City's venues. This year's lineup welcomes Lisa O'Neill, Anna Mika, Junior Brother, and lots more on the stages of the Everyman, Triscoll, Christchurch, Collins Live, Crane Lane, Live at St. Luke's, and Winthrop Avenue. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition, or a live stream coming up by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Alan was saying waiting 12 weeks for a passport for, for his his baby daughter. Uh, April? Yes. <laughs> What's your story? Hi there. Um, so I had applied for my son's first passport on the 2nd of May. Um, and I, you know, was trying not to be a pain in the arse and I didn't contact them for 12 weeks and waited and waited until they you know to see if it was going to arrive and when I contacted them they told me my application was lost in a glitch and that I would have to reapply so I reapplied on July the 15th for my son's passport and then it, it took them another eight weeks to even mark the documents that they had had at that point for four months as received and then I only just got the passport yesterday. I was just going to ask. So it's been to... six months they had all of my documents and the original application. Because um, I was just going to ask whether everything was in order when you put it. Because people, I, I know people are really careful because they have to be. So you checked everything and they'd lost it. 
Yep, I never, I never needed to send anything else in, so all the stuff was obviously in order. You know, they just eventually sent the passport. But I even got onto my local TD and everything to see if they could move it along, and it still, arri- it still only arrived, you know, just yesterday. Six months on. How old? How old is your son? Um, he is nine months. Um, we were planning on going. I'm American by the accent. Yeah. <laughs> we were planning on going to see family for Christmas uh, or for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but I kind of cancelled all that because I didn't know if it was ever going to come. Crikey! So, oh, you, yeah. can, you, can you rearrange stuff? Um, I think maybe we'll wait until the new year. Right. You know, with everything that's going on. But yeah, I, I, I definitely we had plans to fly on the twentieth, and that was cancelled. Okay. Even though it's now here now, I, I just didn't think it was a good idea to keep going with the plans. Probably not. All right, April, thanks for that. So we've gone from eight weeks, which is Colin Bork's average, which he says is not acceptable, speaking the bleeding obvious. Alan was 12 weeks, and now it's taken April six months. It's finally come, at least. 1850-715-996. So take yourself back, if you will, please, to 1986, if you were around. If not, ask your parents. But Ireland was a very different place from where we are now. Uh, people generally believed and felt, and they were generally very safe. Christeborg was number one. Tin Lizzie had just died. The troubles in the north were ongoing. Hurricane Charlie ruined the country in one night in January. Jack Charlton became our football manager. I'm reading all this from the introduction to a new book, uh, which is written about one event of that year. And it was an event, as the introduction said, that stopped people in their tracks and brought the whole country to a standstill. A schoolboy called Philip Cairns, on the afternoon of October 23rd, was home for lunch at his home in Rathfarnham in Dublin, put his books into his school bag, headed off out the door, said to his grandmother, Cheerio, Gran, I'm off. And he was never seen or heard from again. Emma McMenemy from uh, the Irish Sunday Mirror has written a new book called The Boy Who Never Came Home. It's one of those ones, Emma, isn't it, that you can honestly say to this day, even though there's a lot of merit, it is a complete mystery. Good morning. Hi, yeah, it's it's complete mystery still to this day. Um, I suppose 35 years have passed now, but I suppose if you ask anybody whether they they were born in 1986 or not, they know of Philip's case just because... It was more the fact that this young teenage boy who was very well behaved literally vanished off off the earth, you know, never to be seen again. His school bag was found near his house, wasn't it? Yeah, that was kind of the big kind of break for the guards at the time, or they believed it would be. Um, Six days after he disappeared, his grey satchel bag was found by two teenage friends as they were walking through this laneway in uh, Ratfarnham. This laneway would have been used a lot by locals to kind of go from one side of the estate to the other to, you know, to go to the shops and the church and the like. And these one of these two teenage girls had actually passed through this laneway a number of times that day to visit a pal and hadn't seen it. Um, and I suppose when the guards were handed the bag, the first thing they noticed was that it was bone dry, yet it had been raining on and off that day, which led them to believe that perhaps it, it had only recently been left there. 
So it's it's believed it was probably only there for an hour or two at most before the two teenage girls found it. Which is even more bizarre, like that six days later the bag was, we might as well say, placed there by person or persons unknown. Yeah, it would, it, detectives investigating the case are of the belief that it was definitely placed there because they would have carried out extensive searches of the area at the time in the days following Philip's disappearance mm. and the bag wasn't there. Um, and because it was it was bone dry as well, you know, it was actually placed on soaking wet leaves, which further enhanced the detectives to believe that this was only a recent placement, you know. You've been speaking for the book to one of the people who found the bag. Yeah, I managed to track down one of the teenage girls um, and she kind of recalled to me, I suppose she was a local girl as well, so she was able to recall to me the fear that was kind of in the local area. You know, this was this was unheard of for a child to be kidnapped in broad daylight or to go missing in broad daylight. So there was she she gave the the impression that there was a huge sense of fear in in the local neighbourhood. And um, I suppose when she found it, the one thing that kind of went through her mind was, if it's only recently been left here, you know, is the person still lurk, lurking close by? And the two girls ran then to Ratfarnham Garda Station to give it into the detectives who then sealed off the alleyway. Now, one of those detectives was a Sergeant Tom Doyle and he was leading the investigation pretty much for the bones of of 20 years. Um, yeah. What, what he, he's been giving you huge insights for the book. To, I mean, what does he believe to this day happened to young Philip? Or does he have a theory? I, I think I, he. I suppose he'll have to speak for himself. But from talking to him, um, I think he's of the belief that Philip was um, abducted or was taken that day. And the thing about the, the former detective sergeant Doyle is he would have he would have actually interviewed one of the prime suspects in yeah. 2016. Then Eamon on Cook. his deathbed. So yeah, I think his belief would be that Eamon Cook certainly merits further investigation from what he would have disclosed to him on his deathbed. Now, Eamon Cook, for for listeners to the radio programme, Eamon Cook was involved in the pirate radio scene in Dublin and he was a major, major figure in the development of independent pirate radio in the country. But subsequently, afterwards, he gave so many broadcasters their start, but afterwards we discovered he was was just a, a savage individual. He was a horrible individual. He was a paedophile. Yeah. He was a prolific paedophile by all accounts. And um, yeah, he he was kind of like the, what a few of his victims have said is he was like the Irish Jimmy Savile, really, yeah. in that he gave off this persona that he was a caring individual and would bring bags of toys down to local orphanage and visit hospitals. And you have to remember as well at the time, the likes of Netflix and, you know, big TV shows didn't really exist. So a lot of kids would have been huge, big into pirate radio, you know, because the pirate radio played all the the teen kind of tunes at the time, whereas Orti, he, Orti would have played kind of more the main fare of music. So he was seen as kind of like a minor celebrity in Dublin as well. But he behind this kind of persona was an extremely evil individual. Yeah, I remember meeting him one time in, in my pirate radio days and the man was looked on as a, as a hero of the industry. And we discover really, afterwards yeah. how sleazy and horrible that he actually was. And he remains the, the prime and probably the only the, the only suspect. But there's been many, many theories outside of that, Emma, haven't there? Some of them crazy altogether. There's There's been a lot. And I suppose 
the one that sticks out for me and which I I personally believe was probably the most unfair on, on the family was the whole religious um, that Philip had run off to a religious cult. Um, I suppose because the family were religious at the time, but what family kind of weren't back in 1986 in Ireland, um, it was kind of pinned on, well, well, maybe he ran off to one of these religious cults, which was completely ruled out kind of very early on in the investigation. And then there was the the local paedophile kind of theory as well, that there was a paedophile ring that was operating in the area and that was that was ruled out. I kind of looked into that extensively and there was there was no grounds for that at all. I think for me personally, the most plausible one at the moment would be Eamon Cook. And I believe that he certainly merits being looked at further by detectives investigating the case. Yeah, and unfortunately he's he's dead now. So if if, if it was him, not only can we not punish him, but with, with no idea where, where poor Philip ended up. Yeah, but I, I suppose if if the family were to even get the, the information as to, you know, who was behind Philip's abduction that day, it might might kind of add some comfort. Mm. But it's, it's the unknown, yeah. which is probably causing more hurt to the yeah. family than anything you've, you've else. You've been working you know? with his sister as well, haven't you, with Sandra? Uh, well, I haven't been working with her. They they certainly they gave a, a, a some comments for the book, all right. Yeah, um, that's kind of what I They're meant, just yeah. an extremely yeah. They're just an extremely nice family. Um, Philip was very much loved by them, and he loved his family. He loved spending time with them. His br- younger brother Owen. They used to share a bedroom together, and you know, still to this day, they they haven't given up, and they aren't going to give up. So mm. I suppose the sad thing is that someone out there whether it's a person or a group of people, they know what happened to Philip that day and it's never too late for them to come forward yeah. and end the pain that Alice and the family are going through. A number of years ago, I remember um, someone did a computer, a bit of computer magic on, on the picture, which the picture that in the front of, of the book um, and used computer aging to, to try and tell us what Philip might look like today. Yeah, but have yeah. you got any thoughts at all? Does anybody believe him that he might still be alive, realistically? Like, that's the hope, I suppose. You know, the, the family would love to, I think, believe that he is still out there. But I suppose as, with the passage of time, that possibility becomes less and less. And I, I know the, the image you're talking about was of Philip when what he might have looked like when he was 21. And I suppose the heartbreaking thing about that is that Alice and his his late father, Phil Sr., they got to see what their young boy might have turned out like, you know, and it must have been a very, very bittersweet moment for them, you know, that that they they have always tried and been open with the media and with appeals. They'd do anything just to get that small bit of information about what might have happened to him that day. He would be in his late 40s now. Where, where he's late forties, yeah. Where he's to be still alive. Unfortunately, very few people believe that he is, but a family will cling to whatever hope is there. You've done a real deep dive into this, um, Emma. It, it remains one of our great unsolved mysteries. Do you believe it ever will be solved? I do, and I believe like I've there was aspects of the investigation I done. I I spent a full year fully emerging myself in this case and looking at it. You know, any spare moment I got, I was staying up till three and four in the morning, kind of looking into it. You know, for months on end. Um, I do believe that there is certain details which I've obtained through 
investigating the case, which I've passed over to detectives, which I believe could be highly beneficial to the investigation and may hopefully uh, push it in a certain direction. I can't disclose that at the minute because obviously it's an ongoing investigation, but I have passed those details on to detectives. The case is still open, of course. The case is still very much open. And I suppose the one thing, it, it just takes that one piece of information. Someone might be sitting at home listening to this now and they might have that small snippet of information which they believe is kind of nonsense or wouldn't be of any use. But it could be that very small piece of information that might be that piece of the missing jigsaw that they need, that, that the guards need to kind of push the investigation along. And I suppose I just appeal to your listeners if they do have any information, you know, whether it's big or small or they think it's insignificant or not, just to, to go to their local guard station or ring the guard a confidential line and and, and let them know, you know, what details they have, because okay. it could help. It could, I, you know, there's been cases that have been 35 years old and have been solved. Yeah. So it's never too late. Okay. All right. Listen, Emma, thank you. Uh, congratulations on the book. It's an interesting read. The Boy Who Never Came Home, the inside story of the missing teenager, Philip Cairns, one of the long-standing crime mysteries of our time uh, written by Irish Sunday Mirror journalist Emma McMenemy thanks Emma Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie Feels good God, I'm telling you, know, the roof has gone off the house at home. They're on to me all the time about it. I got a pocket full of cash, but I'm... Get, 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 get ready for fun and play because the 10K toy giveaway is back. Take you on a shopping spree. Get all the details Monday at 8.15am. Feels good. <laughs> on Cork's 96FM. Right, Premier League Live back this Saturday on 96FM.ie with uh, Trevor Welsh, all part of course by Talk Sport. This weekend, busy one for the team. Live coverage of Manchester United versus Manchester City. That's at 12.30. Crystal Palace v Wolves at 3. And Brighton against Newcastle United at half past 5. The Premier League live online with now stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport with a now Sports Extra membership. And listen Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Bunch of stuff that we want to get through. Keeping up with your correspondence, as they say, always very important. Morning, PJ. All I hear these days is COVID numbers, antigen tests, etc. Wouldn't it be so important that the powers that be, like the HSE and the government, would focus on the health of the people and to, to motivate us to try to have a healthy lifestyle and build up our immune systems naturally, especially as we face into winter? This way, less people would get sick to say I was out for a walk yesterday, I only met one more out walking their dog. Disappointing. The weather is beautiful and not everyone is working or indeed not everyone's able to. I think a campaign needs to be in place to get us all motivated. That's my view anyway. Many thanks, says Josephine, on yet another beautiful morning in West Cork. On passports, Nick says, never mind the passports. My son is trying to apply for Irish citizenship via his mother and his grandmother. We have to apply for a foreign birth registration and that type of application has been suspended for over a year. I was only talking recently to an old, old school friend of mine from 
many, many moons ago who uh, was workout living in the Channel Islands for about 30-something years and has moved back home now. Uh, and his son has moved back home with him. And if you want to hear the rigmarole and the nonsense that his son has to go through to try to get simple things like a PPS to get working here, it's just bonkers. Lots of people saying we need to do more with antigen tests. We need to have more antigen tests available. PJ, what's the cost of them and where can I get them? You can get them in boots. You can get them in other chemists. They're around four or five quid. I'm not endorsing any particular supermarket, but I've seen them in Tesco. And if you pick it, they have a CE mark on them. That's the European quality mark. You can't sell them without one of those. I've seen them in Tesco. I've seen them in Aldi. They're all about somewhere between four fifty and six fifty, depending on the the test or where you're buying them. But they are out there. But again, let's remind ourselves of that message we got from Leeds. A woman listening to us in Leeds, Sinead, she can get a box of them in the post every day for free, with up to eight in the box, seven days a week to keep the family safe. 1850-715-996. I would like your help over the next week or two, if you could please. Uh, we're going to be doing the same this Christmas as we did last year, where between Christmas and New Year we'll have a bunch of prepackaged shows, as they say, looking back on the year that it's been, uh, Rewind 21. And we want you to help us to pick the content. Is there an interview? Is there a guest? Is there a feature? Is there something that you heard on the opinion line during 2021 that you particularly enjoyed and you'd like to hear again or that you found particularly memorable for any reason and you'd like to hear again. We're putting a a list of stuff together at the moment for those programmes and I'll be combining them in early December. So, opinion at 96fm.ie. If there's anything that takes your fancy that you'd like to hear again, doesn't matter who it was or, or where, what they were talking about. If you'd like to hear them again between Christmas and New Year, opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, a few things to keep you uh, posted about. The Onokora story, of course, which we've been following all through the year, began in early summer. Latest development on Onokora is the Oireachtas Health Committee has now confirmed that it will visit the unit later this month. That's a crucial decision coming at a crucial time because, as we know... The centre was originally pencilled in to close on the 31st of October. That did not happen. Kind of a soft cancellation of that closure date. And as we speak and as we've been following it, various programmes are being purportedly done up for the individual residents, to where they'll go, where they'll live, if the HSE insists on closing the place. And that's where we start. And it looks now as if Onokora will remain open probably early into the new year under the current plan. However, people like Liam Quaid and other local public representatives, Pat Buckley and Daniel Toomey and others, want to just double, treble and maybe quadruple check that the place actually isn't fit for purpose. The HSE says it is, insists it is. 
but they want a double, treble and quadruple check that it isn't. So members of the health committee will be coming to the Onakura unit in Middleton later this month and uh, I have no doubt that we'll be able to speak with one or two of them uh, during the course or after that visit. Uh, 1850-715-996. couple of things as well. Yesterday I was talking to Lisa Murphy. You'll remember that incredible story she told me about where she is in her life with her eating disorder and how at the time she was Speaking to me yesterday morning, she she knew and she would predict and she told us it was only a matter of hours before she would go into another uncontrollable bout of eating and purging and eating and purging and eating and purging and it could last for many, many hours. She needs to get into a private clinic. It costs 60000 She doesn't have insurance. There are no public beds available. Uh, she needs 60,000. Her friends set up a GoFundMe for her and thrilled to be able to tell you that that GoFundMe is now at €41,349, which inve- inevitably a number of Opinion Line listeners will have contributed to that. So delighted to see that number. And, and it's clicking up hour by hour by hour. Uh, one of the things oh yes uh, there were to be four memorial benches uh, marking the tragic crash that claimed the, oh bigger brother these are four memorial benches uh, to mark the tragic crash you remember this crash happened in passage uh, it's a couple of months back now and it claimed the lives of uh, Father Con Cronin the beloved local priest and Mark Wills the bus driver there's a coffee event on Saturday the 6th at the Old Star of the Sea in Passage West from 12 till 3. There's no admission fee. Contributions, though, are welcome. There's a raffle with lots of prizes. Girl Guides will also organise entertainment for children. Baking contributions would be welcome. And the money will be used for six, actually six, that was four, six memorial benches in the area. All right, thanks for that. Uh, lastly, before I go to the phone, uh, antigen tests. It's a rip-off I'm in, in Leeds as well. We seem to have a nice little cohort of listeners in Leeds. Morning, Leeds. Uh, those tests are literally being packed into my son's school bag. Great. Really is. 1850 Tatiana, good morning. Oh, she's on the phone rather than on the... The other yoke, as it was. Tatiana, hi. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Now, talk to me about the very special kind of photography that you're doing in the studio in your house. Right. Um, I work with my husband. We both work together. Um, we do basically family and children portraits. And we specialize in um, children in the spectrum in the autism spectrum disorder. Okay. Um, and we try to cater for, for that particular public. Because it can be quite difficult for a child on the spectrum, and indeed their family, to pose for a photograph, can't it? Yeah, even for, for people uh, called neurotypical, for everyone it can be a bit intimidating to go to a studio to get your portrait taken. Uh, and, um, yeah, children and People in general in the spectrum, they have a bigger, even bigger challenge. Um, yes, and uh, being a, ch- a mother of an autistic child myself, 
I had this problem in the past and mm. and uh, yeah, I try to accommodate now that I have my own studio to all types of children. Yeah. So, so how does your studio accommodate the spectrum? Well, um, uh, uh, autism is a spectrum, it's a broad spectrum. So every individual would have a different need, you know. So uh, there might be a family that will come to me and say, listen, my children, my child has a, has a, a sensory um, processing issue with the bright lights mm. or the other with the smells of with loud sounds. So in this case, we would have no music or very, very soft, low music. You know, we will... Basically, we have to talk to every family, every mom, uh, to find out what their child's specifics are, what their specific requirements are. Mm. Your studio is in your own home, isn't it? Yes, yes, it's a home studio. Mm. Yeah, I, I find it... Yeah, sorry. less stressful than going into an office or into a... Yeah, yeah I find it uh, that people usually feel more at home, more relaxed coming to a you know, uh, a home environment. I usually also offer the opportunity for them to come and have a look uh, prior to the to the session. Some child would, um, some children may have um, anxiety issues, so they really need to know exactly what's going to happen. So it's interesting for this uh, particular ch- child to come and spend a few minutes uh, having a chat, mm. having a look around, and just recognizing the environment. And then I go through every single step of the session, what's going to happen, so that helps release the anxiety. Yeah. You, you've got it, and every family, I think, wants a, a photograph coming up to Christmas. So you've got a particular plan for Christmas for families for whom it mightn't be that easy. Yeah, this is a very popular thing now, um, the Christmas mini sessions, uh, in that the family will come at a specific time slot and uh, get their portrait taken. And we do themes for, you know, every Christmas we have a different theme. Mm-hmm. And this year, for example, the theme is like a Christmas morning yeah. type of environment, a bed, and then they can dress in match pyjama, matching pajamas and bring their favorite cuddly toy and uh, we, we always try to make it fun for them yeah to, so for the whole family too some of your pictures on, on on the echo early in the week and they really are lovely tell me a little bit about yourself tatiana you're is it brazilian originally uh yes yes i'm from brazil um i first moved to ireland in 2005 i lived in in dublin first mm. uh then Due to my husband's job, we got to travel a lot. We lived in Singapore, then we moved back to Brazil, and then he got a job in Cork, and mm. that's how uh, the whole family got to move to Cork. You like uh, it here? years ago. Oh, I love it, Cork. I love it in here. Good, good. And now you're bringing yeah. your own unique brand of photography uh, to to our city, and it's it's great to see it. Where can people contact you, Tatiana, if they want to talk more? Right. Um, my website is www.tatianabill.ie. It's Bill with one L. Yeah. And I'm also in um, Facebook and Instagram 
Tatiana Bill Photography. Okay. All right. Good to speak with you on the opinion and good luck with uh, your, particularly with that lovely plan that you have for family portraits at Christmas. That's Tatiana Bill. Tatiana Bill with Bill with one L dot com is her website. Uh, 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Ross's daughter Emily is 13 and she's on TikTok. She's been booted off TikTok. Yeah. Oh. She's been kicked off. This and happened on Monday. How is she? Uh, sorry, how does she feel about it? Is she, she There was an existential crisis and oh, a panic. I can imagine. She's like, I posted a photograph because it was Carly's communion. It says here that I'm a minor drinking alcohol. I wasn't drinking any alcohol. Show me the video that you posted. It was a video of her with a bottle of Sidona. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with No DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the City, a long standing tradition in Cork. Open 24 7 at nildc.com. Cork's 96 FM. Chatting there to Tatiana about Christmas pictures reminded me of our proud association once again with Cork Simon. Every year in Cork, thousands of you do get together to help fight homelessness with the Simon. You wear your Christmas jumper and help to raise vital funds. And this year, we're teaming up again and Cork's 96FM with Cork Simon asking you to host your Christmas jumper day wherever you feel safest doing so. In the office or do it at home or do it online with your friends and colleagues or even with your family overseas. You can get a fundraising pack right now at corksimon.ie and then join Cork's 96FM as we battle to fight homelessness in Cork. 1850 715 Everything kind of ties up in its own way because I've been speaking with Charlie and Charlie is living in Cork at the moment but she's in danger uh, of not being able to stay and uh, she has been telling me why that is. Charlie, you're originally from Norway. Tell me how you came to be in Cork in the first place. Well, I have had this dream of moving to Ireland uh, all the way back since 2007. I had a, a pleasure of visiting Dublin uh, in 2007 and I completely fell in love with the country. So um, ever since I have been dreaming about moving and uh, I did quite a lot of research. I think I spent about six months doing research on how to move countries with a disability. And after obtaining the information that I did, I decided to apply for a job in Cork. And well, that was the start of it. Yeah. Tell me about your disability um you, it's a degenerative disease correct yes it is uh, i was born with this uh, disease it is called spinal muscular atrophy and usually people with this diagnosis don't live particularly long so my parents were told when i was born that i would become two years at the maximum uh, but apparently, 
nobody told me that. So now I'm 42 and I'm still here. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Now, you find yourself with a serious problem and you might outline it for us what that is. Well, the problem is that, yes, I have a disability. I I use a wheelchair. I have a, a motorized wheelchair, which I use all day. Um, but I also I am dependent on personal assistance to be able to do the things that, well, people usually take for granted, like getting out of bed, uh, doing the normal stuff in the bathroom, like personal hygiene, going to the toilet, getting dressed, stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, preparing food, uh, getting to bed, going out to see friends, doing a job, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, because my disease um, makes me weak. Mm-hmm. So I can move a bit, but I don't have the muscle strength to do a lot of things on my own. Yes. There is nothing wrong with my head though. So so that's really it I know I know what I want and I'm yes. quite headstrong and ambitious. <laughs> and your assistant, does that person live with you or just come in and out to you? Uh, no, I well what I'm used to is that the person comes in and out. So he or she comes at specific times and helps me and, and goes home. So when you got this job opportunity, it's a lot, there's a lot to take into account. Do you come yeah. for the job? Then you have to get the assistance. How did yes. you get the assistance? I haven't got the assistance. And that is the problem because I brought a friend with me from Norway to help me okay. uh, while I was setting up in Ireland and while I was like getting established and started my job and everything. And and the, the research I did beforehand uh, go, gave me the information that I would be able to get assistance once I had come to Cork, applied for the PPS number and gotten everything in order because, because of my disability and the severity of it. Yeah. But the day I arrived in Dublin on my way down to Cork in a car, I got a phone call saying that the maximum I could expect to get from the HSC was seven hours a week. So that's one hour a day. Mm-hmm. And nobody in my situation would be able to survive on one hour a day. So your is your friend gone home now or are they still with you? No, he's still with me, but he's leaving this weekend. Okay. So I am in a terribly stressful situation where my brain actually tells me that I have five more days to live because I can't live without assistance. Right. And it's, it's, it's scaring me so much. You have reached out to public representatives, TDs and that. What yes. kind of response have you got there? Um, basically that, because in the start, I didn't have the PPS number. But after I received the PPS number, I haven't really heard back from any of them. And the the things I heard was that, well, you have to reach out to the HSC, you have to reach out to the public health nurse. And all they are telling me is that there is a long, long waiting list. I can't expect to get the help I need and they can't really help me. Right. So you could be facing the prospect of having to go back 
to Norway, Charlie. Yes. And that is really the last thing I want to do because one of the reasons why I decided to move to Ireland now was that I have been neglected by the Norwegian government for almost two years now. I have been sitting in my apartment uh, completely alone up to 18 hours a day. I have been forced to reduce my intake of fluids to below four deciliters because I needed to avoid having to go to the toilet. I've been sitting by myself without the possibility to go to the toilet for 12 to 14 hours a day. And everybody should understand that no human being can live like that for very long. Are you saying to me that that's what you're facing if you go back to Norway? Yes, it is. How are you managing at the moment now, for example? At the moment, I have my friend here so he can help me when I need need help. So at the moment, it's fine. But as I said, I'm really dreading this weekend because then it's all over. And he has stayed as long as he possibly can. He's got to go back, I suppose, for he's got work and family and stuff. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. When you talk to the public health nurse, what did they say? They say, look, there's an awful long waiting list here. Yes, and they also say, they speak a lot about uh, that I may have unrealistic views on the care I I might get in Ireland. But then again, nobody up to this date has asked me what I need Mm. and what I think about it. Because, yes, uh, in a perfect world, I would have care 24-7 because that is something a person like me would need. But to be able to stay in Ireland and, and have the things I need and be able to do a job uh, to to be able to do that, I would be more than willing to discuss how many hours I could actually manage on. Mm-hmm. Because in Cork and in Ireland, I have friends and I have I I have a network. And if I can get out of my apartment by myself, I have no problem going to see friends or going to a pub or going to a restaurant and and doing stuff on my own. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate, even though I am dependent on others, I really appreciate the freedom to be able to be independent where I can. Yes, yes. You're staying, I think, in a hotel at the moment, but you're looking for an apartment. That's the first plan. It needs to be accessible, though. Yes. Uh, When it comes to accessibility for me, uh, the main thing is that I can get in the front door Mm. and that uh, preferably the bathroom is a bit spacious, a bit more spacious than the the typical Irish bathrooms. Apart from that, I don't need anything special. Right. Okay. Other than to have someone come in and out to you to do necessary things. Exactly. And I have been living in this temporary accommodation at the hotel for six weeks now. Can I ask you how how, how you came to get that, Charlie? And my employer um, gave me the opportunity to stay here. Okay, okay. Because part of the agreement, the job 
and the agreement in the job offer was that my employer would help me uh, get a permanent place to live. Okay. Uh, but I have spoken to a lot of people in Cork, and it is quite apparent that the housing problem isn't anything that is new. And I think that employers should have been aware of the difficulties uh, in finding. And is your employer aware of the problem you're going to be facing in a couple of days? And, and what have they said to you? Yes, they are aware of it and they haven't really said anything. Their last proposition was to send me back to Norway. And that is despite me telling them that what has happened before I moved here, the reason why I decided to move here and what I am actually facing if I go back. Well, I don't know what anybody can do for you that might hear this conversation. What would be a good first start maybe to help? If anyone uh, could, could tell me, if they know of, of a place I could live, if I either alone or a place to share with anyone, uh, I'm fully able to pay rent and everything. That's not a problem. I just need a permanent place to live so that I can get my things over from Norway and my equipment that I need because of my disability, because everything is still in Norway. I can't move it over without having a place to live. Mm -hmm. And of course, if there are any kind souls out there who think that they can be able to help me with regular things that everyone does every day, that would possibly give me a chance to stay in Ireland. Well, do you know what? I won't do, Charlie, is what I won't do is promise you that mm. we'll find any answers for you. But what I will do is promise you that we'll let your message out there and see what, what does come through, if anything. I really, really appreciate it. I, I can't express how much that means to me. Okay. You take care of yourself now and have a good day and good luck. Thank you so much and thank you for talking to me. On Philip Cairns, Tom via Twitter says, such a sad case. It's amazing. He just vanished without a trace or a clue. I remember the news coming on about it and I, I thought that when his bag was found, it would have led to finding him very quickly. I hope something will break soon for the family. Yeah, Tom, thanks for that. 1850 Touching base again with what is the biggest news story of the month uh, of the week anyway and that is COP26 so much happening in Glasgow uh, debating and, and planning for the future of the climate and, and what we do to slow down and hopefully reverse the changes in our climate and we had a hundred and something world leaders there uh, some of them were headed back now but they're leaving their delegations after them to talk some more. One man who'll be heading over there, I think, tomorrow uh, to attend an event as part of COP26 is a climate change researcher at UCC and uh, one of our regular weather forecasters, but a different, wearing a different hat today. Cahal Nolan, good morning to you. A very good morning. You're heading over to COP26 for an agriculture event, I believe. 
That's correct. So I'm actually based in Scotland now at the moment, uh, full time. Um, and as part of that, the work that I do is I work kind of as an advisor, let's say, for the Scottish government and some of the local councils over here. And through that remit, I will be in attendance at one of the meetings tomorrow. So it's an agricultural event, specifically kind of looking at the the impact of, let's say, the food systems and how they interplay and relate with the climate and also some sustainability issues. So. Yeah, looking forward to, to attending that event tomorrow. It'll definitely be a, an interesting sitting. Um, and as you said, rightly, there's just simply so much going on in Glasgow at the moment yeah. in relation to in relation to climate change. It's an enormous event. It's, 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 you couldn't possibly realise the size of it until you see just how much is involved. Carl, in terms of agriculture and, and climate change, we all know, I guess, that the way we farm has to change. But the farming community, to be fair to them, are afraid of the recommendations coming out of COP26 because while they realise that it's important, they think, Christ, will I be out of business? Is, is my business under threat from, climate, from, from trying to cope with climate change? Absolutely, and look, it's it's entirely understandable for me to say anything different would be hypocritical. I come from an agricultural background myself, so I can absolutely, first and foremost, understand the concerns of the farming community. I, I think it's I think there's a little bit of a, a mismatch in terms of the dialogue, let's say, between those who are seen to be making policies in relation to climate change, and then those who are directly going to be impacted by the policies that have been made. And I think when it comes to the question of agriculture. Looking at Ireland kind of as a unique case and example, I think the majority of the way that we produce our our foods, the majority of the way in which our produce is produced, it's done so in a pretty sustainable way by the standards, let's say, that are set on a global scale. So obviously, while we're still looking for improvements, we're still looking to reduce the amount of emissions that come from our agriculture. It's one of the leading sectors, let's say, in terms of emissions in Ireland. There, At the moment there is little that can be done in the sense that how do we make it in a more kind of sustainable manner? I think we probably, in terms of the global market, we're probably one of the countries that does so in the most sustainable way. Right. It's 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 really, in a sense, up to, I suppose, when you talk about reductions in emissions from agriculture, a lot of it is really down to the general public, the, the attitude that they have towards food, food preferences, food choices, the types of diets that we use. And then from the agriculture point of view, I guess it's, it's, it's trying to produce that good quality food, really, in a sense, the organic type of food to produce it in a more sustainable manner as opposed to just kind of taking the easy option and just cut, 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 let's say, reduce herd sizes, etc., etc. Yeah, that, that, and that's what frightens the most is rumours about the culling or the semi-culling of the national herd because that would put an awful lot of farmers just out of business overnight. It certainly would. Um, and, and, and of course, it's a, it's a matter of scale as well. So obviously those... It's it's those who it's the smaller farmers that say they're most at risk in terms of those kind of implications, and obviously that's where we see most of the concern then as well because it's a little bit like most business and multinational businesses. There's the larger businesses that can respond, that have mm. the finances and the resources to be able to to make these more, I suppose, sudden changes. Whereas a lot of the time it's the it's the smaller farmer, let's say, that's impacted most, and that's obviously where the greatest level of concern comes from. And when we talk about issues like a sustainable transition or a just transition, this is obviously what we talk about. This one has to, has to be factored into it to ensure that as many farmers and people who are directly employed within the agriculture community obviously retain their employment and can retain profitability and do so in a way that's both better for them but also better for the environment too. That's that's the challenge is trying to is trying to achieve all of that. 
In terms of, of weather and climate, um, which is your, your, your area of research, Cahill, bring it down to brass tacks here in Cork. Like, if we don't bring the climate under some kind of control, what are we looking at, say, here in this city and county in 10, 15, 20 years? It's a very, it's a very broad question. Um, when, you look at, when you look at the climate of Cork, I suppose if you're going to talk about it, you're, let's say we look at the extremes, let's say, first mm. and foremost. The extremes, you're talking about an increase probably in terms of the intensity of winter storms. So again, casting our minds back, we look at storms and the infamous storms, let's say like Hurricane Ophelia, or we yeah. talk about maybe, but they're the kind of levels of events that we're talking about. Those types of events gradually become more and more common, let's say, in terms of the frequency in which they come around with. There's a little bit of uncertainty as to whether winter storms become more common, just in terms of quantity, but certainly the intensity of some of those storms is likely to increase over the course of the next 10, 15, 20 years. Like I would personally observe that that our our winters are, and I'm working in this building now since the, the late 90s, our winters are warmer and wetter, or is that just my imagination? It's not your imagination, though. Certainly during that period of time, the winters have been, they have been warmer, they have been wetter, there's been an increase in terms of winter precipitation, there's certainly been an increase in terms of winter temperatures. We see there's a gradual reduction in terms of the number of nights that we see with frost recorded on the grounds, temperatures generally. While we have seen some particularly cold nights, the, the chances of seeing those particularly cold nights or very cold nights has been steadily reducing as well over that period. So we are seeing these gradual changes, I suppose, in terms of our climate whereby winter temperatures are increasing that little bit winter precipitation is also increasing but then we see the opposite kind of extremes in the summertime too so we were starting to see possibly higher temperatures we've seen more in the way of adverse uh, precipitation tundra downpours this kind of flash flood types of events uh, and then drought conditions as well at different times so basically when we talk about climate change it's making it more extreme I think If you look at the summer we had I mean it was a gorgeous summer for those of us who love the bit of sunshine but obviously people were we're worried too that experiencing that kind of heat here in Ireland. But more, I think people like yourself and others are suggesting more summers like that and more warm, wet winters. That's not sustainable in Ireland. That that seems to be the general trend. Um, and obviously, look at coming from a from a country like Ireland where we don't typically receive those kind of hot summary conditions for a particularly prolonged period there can be the kind of laissez-faire attitude to say oh well great but really if you look at it we're not kind of prepared for those kind of prolonged hot spells mm. just biologically I think in terms of Irish people we tend to complain if the temperature goes above 23-24 degrees Celsius so having week long conditions where temperatures are pushing close to or exceeding 30 degrees Celsius it obviously brings upon health implications because a lot of our buildings simply previously they didn't need to be air conditioned for That's example so you can exactly so you can have a lot of people working maybe in confined offices that just don't have proper air conditioning it can bring on heat stress especially for the elderly then as well maybe in, in, in care homes or nursing mm homes or the likes that again wouldn't be particularly well um, let's say ventilated or or they just don't have air conditioning systems that obviously leads them to to kind of health risks farther on down the line. Lastly what would you say to a comment like comes in from Kevin and to be fair I see a lot of comments like this day to day all I'm hearing he says coming from COP26 is tax more tax Yeah it's I suppose one of the if you look at the if you look at the literature, generally speaking, 
one of the most effective ways to reduce carbon emissions is through taxation policies. Now, taxation in itself is not specifically a bad thing once it's done in a manner in which those who can afford to pay those particular taxes are the ones who are paying those particular taxes. And when we talk about that, we're not talking about the, the working middle class or those who are generally trying to, trying to in order to contribute, let's say, the most to society, who are living on limited means, let's say, than those who, who can least afford to actually pay these particular taxes. We're talking about some of the multinational companies here. We're talking about the particular high earners. We're talking about a lot of the time those who speak at these particular events, who are in particularly, I suppose, well-off positions, um, yet sometimes it seems to be that they're the ones who can contribute the most and this I suppose leads to the kind of confrontation that we see whereby it's difficult for a lot of people to actually buy into the whole idea of of climate change and addressing climate change. I think it was it, there was a kind of report that we saw recently in the position that I'm in at the moment and one of the comments was um, if you have to choose between your basic needs of survival or you have to choose between climate in 50 or 60 years time you choose your basic survival needs. And mm. I think that's where the problem really lies yeah. with most people getting on board. And the message that's come in there from, from obviously the texture, I can completely empathize with that. Um, and so too could the majority of people who are just trying to get by yeah. on a week to week basis. Right. And, and, and there, it's, there's very little, there's very little you can say against that argument. Yeah. Um, all right. Carl, leave it there. Uh, good to speak with you as always. Carl Nolan, a PhD, uh, expert, uh, climate change expert uh, based at UCC actually based in Scotland at the moment was in UCC for for quite some time and heading off to uh, COP26 tomorrow thank you Cahill and we'll have Cahill on with his weather forecasts for us from time to time as well Carla says I love nature all I've seen for the past couple of decades is constant moves to make farming more intensive to move production to areas of rainforests pushing people to diesel with very few exceptions, and the exceptions I'd call greenwashing, is COP26 punishing the people that did this rather than imposing rules on everyone? They have the principle of richer countries having to help more than poorer ones. What about agribusinesses, oil companies? I'm not blaming Cahill for this. He seems to know how it works at that conference. Yeah, a lot of people saying what's coming out of COP26 is just the fact that things are going to be very expensive for ordinary people. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Staying briefly with COP26 and events surrounding COP26 just to finish out today. Cuisine Backhouse. Uh, You're having a day of Global, a, do, a global day for climate justice here in Cork on Saturday. Tell me about it. Good morning. That's right. Good morning. So the COP26 has a global day of action. And so people from all around the world are organizing events in their local cities and areas. So I work for Creativity and Change. That's a program out of MTU. And we have a number of events happening in Cork City. So you can come down to Grand Parade. Our building is number 46. It's the big white building there. And you'd be most welcome at 11 o'clock to make a banner or a badge and then get stuck into the rally, which is happening at 12 o'clock in front of the Grand Parade 
Library. So there's 17 organizations actually involved in organizing the RAT Rally, including People Before Profit, Extinction Rebellion, the Cork Environmental Forum, and and many, many more. So this is a huge um, number of organizations pulling together for this day. But we have lots of other events, too. Um, We're going to have a mural that people can get involved in painting on Sullivan's Quay Um, after the rally. There's going to be pop-up events. There's going to be one happening um, right outside of the the Grand Parade building where people can do um, postcard making that we're going to send to all the TDs. And there's a playback theater performance at 7 o'clock. And one of our youth activists is going to be speaking at that as as well. So, uh, yeah, there are tickets available for do. all of these, are there? Yes, most of the outdoor events, you can just show up. You can just show up to the rally. You can just show up to make your poster um, and do, to do the postcards. But for the playback event, you do need to register. And you can find all the information by going to the creativityandchange.ie website and looking under programs. And then there's all of the events that are happening there. And you can register um, for the playback theatre event and to hear the activist. Cuisine students and, and young people in general are among the most forceful calling on the rest of us to take notice of what's happening mm-hmm. at COP26. Why do you think that is? Well, I think young people can see that this is their future. You know, we have this window, we have a 10-year window really to make a significant difference and to stop the temperature from rising above 1.5 degrees. And they're looking at it, you know, in 10 years, they're, they're going to be, you know, hitting their adulthood, hitting their careers, and they're looking at it and seeing that's, you know, the world is going to be a different place there. And I think there's also a real empathy for what's happening um, globally and how, um, the climate change is impacting those who have least contributed to these problems. Mm-hmm. It's it's impacting them the most. And I think young people have a strong sense of justice and, you know, as well as looking towards the future. And and, and I think we really need to to listen to them. Okay. All right. Can I thank you very much, Christine Blackhouse, or Backhouse rather, from Creativity and Change. She's the course coordinator at MTU for that. They have a day of action in Cork, though, November the 6th, which is this coming Saturday. Quick reminder to you, you have to keep getting your entries in for our uh, succession competition. Who plays Logan Roy in succession? Is it A. Brian Cox or B. Courtney Cox? You text the word holiday and your answer and your name to 57080. Your answer is A or B. 57080. Text costs two euro. You must be over 18 to enter terms and conditions on Cork's 96FM website. And that's it. The programme today edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we shall see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.